you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, JC softball team. As long as, you know, uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring little league anymore. Now that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. Yeah. Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? Turn that damn you Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. Flying solo for this episode, but don't worry, got a great guest lined up. You guys are really going to like this interview. I got Jim Dunaway. Longtime Alabama radio host on the show talking SEC football, and he delivered the goods. So I really appreciate Jim joining the show and spieling here about the SEC. Hey, I couldn't go an entire week without getting you guys the show. We've been having some uh, technical difficulties behind the scenes, so apologize for the delay. But right around the corner, man, we're going to be picking up big time with SEC Media Days just a little over a week away. So you can only imagine the level of content that we'll have in the coming days and weeks. So I'm really fired up about that. But as I said, I couldn't go a whole week here because we've had some news around the SEC. So I wanted to jump into that. And then I've got a little bit of a fun show idea I thought you guys would really appreciate. So let's just dive right into what we got lined up for this show. And of course, the big news all around, not only the SEC, but college football is this name, image, and likeness. If anybody missed it, kind of the biggest one came out of Miami, where there is a group down there prepared to give every single scholarship player, all 90 of them, they're going to be giving out $500 a month to each of those players, so $6,000 a year for any and all players that sign up to sponsor and I think it's like a gym or something. But it's a Miami Booster, longtime supporter of the Hurricane program. He's the one backing this. So this is uh, this is kind of what we all suspected may happen. The first big domino in this name, image, and likeness. Every single Miami Hurricane player getting a sponsorship deal. And one of the guys that uh, is behind a lot of this stuff, Florida lawyer Darren, I think his last name's Hatner. He is teasing that Florida, there's a Florida booster that is stepping up to the plate. So we're going to be getting pretty heated here with these NIL deals. So can't wait to see what the Gators got coming around the corner. But that's going to be something to keep your eye out on. 
And if you missed it, kind of the best NIL comments I've seen so far, Texas A&M running back slash receiver Anaya Smith, he has uh, shared that uh, any and all name, image, and likeness deals that he gets, he's going to split all that money evenly, I believe is what he said, with his teammates. And you want to talk about getting the rest of the team fired up for your success. Uh, and, you know, by, by no means are these players obligated to do things like this. So I think that really adds to the gesture here by Smith. But I also wanted to kind of expound upon that. And, you know, maybe he's just a really generous guy. But I'm reading behind the scenes here that, you know, this is kind of the culture that's established there under Jimbo Fisher, where, you know, it's team first and they really got pulling in the uh, right direction. You see, I've seen Texas A&M media people commenting on Twitter, you know, program's going to win a national championship in the next two or three years. And I've seen players react, why not this year? They are really heading in the right direction there in College Station. And it's comments like these that kind of prove that to me. So Jimbo Fisher, a $75 million man, that's looking to be one hell of an investment by the Aggies. And and I'm loving the direction of the program. One final thing on this uh, name, image, and likeness, sponsorship, whatever you want to call it. I just thought this was hilarious. But uh, Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral, he's a member of this website, along with uh, a lot of other college football players. So I'm not just trying to call out Matt Corral here, but you can sign up for an hour with these guys to do, you know, signings or just meet and greets or come to your party or what have you. And a lot of these guys are charging about $500 an hour or $1,000 an hour. If you want to hang out with Matt Corral, it's going to cost you $10,000 an hour. (laughs) My God. I don't know if you guys caught wind of this story a couple years ago, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was Ole Miss TCU in the Peach Bowl. There was an Ole Miss fan there, and of course, they got hammered in that game. I think it was like 42-3, to something like that. But an Ole Miss fan who was at the game, got hammered drunk, jumped into an, an Uber, a Lyft, what have you, meant to set it back to go back to the hotel room, passed out in the back of the Uber. But unfortunately, he put in the wrong address. He put in somewhere in Mississippi, somewhere near Oxford. So so the cab took him from Atlanta all the way to Mississippi, racked up this huge fine. That's what this makes me think of here. I, I mean, I hope to God if you get Matt Corral, you don't accidentally sign up for six hours because... Uh, it may cost you $60,000. I don't know if anybody has paid this $10,000 an hour fee, but uh, that's what it's going to cost you to hang out with Matt Corral. I just thought that was hilarious. But we truly are living in the Wild West here of this name, image, and likeness stuff. Who knows how it's going to be policed, if at all. It, you know, It may not be. So each and every dollar these guys get, they probably deserve. So I'm not railing against it, but Who knows what's going to come next? Like I said, it sounds like there's a big deal coming for the Florida Gators. You know, if there's only one player that says, I'm going to go play for Dan Mullen in Gainesville over Kirby Smart because of whatever deal they got cooked up down there, you better believe the rest of the SEC, at least the teams at the top, at the very least, are going to be signing similar deals. So I cannot wait to see what's coming with this. But hey, enough about all that. We do got a little bit of news here in the SEC, a couple of transfers. So uh, these are going to affect the upcoming season. So I definitely wanted to to discuss these. Let's kick it around the league. Now let's go around the the league. 
my, my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. Right, we'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys, hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, so right before I uh, hopped on the line here, big news out of Lexington. Because former LSU starting left tackle, Dare Rosenthal, we kind of touched on this in, in a recent pod. I heard he was trending towards Mark Stoops' program, and it's official. Dare Rosenthal headed to Kentucky. It's only going to add to the depth there on the offensive line. You're getting a potential day one starter there. Of course, uh, Kentucky, they may have the best offensive tackle in the country in Darren Kennard. Now, might be able to team him up with Dare Rosenthal. Uh, we'll see what position Rosenthal plays. He can play some inside at guard as well. So, uh, you know, it remains to be seen where he'll play or if he'll even start at Kentucky. But I would assume a guy this late in the year going from one SEC school to the other is probably looking to start immediately. So, And he was projected to do so at LSU. He got, uh, from what I understand, got in a little trouble off the field. He had been in a couple, nothing major, but a couple of times he's been in trouble. So missed some games last year due to suspension. Didn't want to be suspended this upcoming season. Gets a clean start there at Lexington. He's got one year of eligibility remaining. So big pickup for Kentucky. And uh, how about uh, our buddy Adam Luckett there from uh, Kentucky Sports Radio digging up this stat. Kentucky's got 17 scholarship offensive linemen on the roster right now. So that's incredible with the addition of Dare Rosenthal. You got to believe that's going to be a strength of the team, a player of his caliber getting on the roster there heading into the season. All right, next let's uh, kick it all down to the Plains. Get ready, Toomer's Corner. Auburn's coming to roll you. Where, hey, Auburn, adding some uh, much-needed depth to the receiver room because former Georgia receiver Demetrius Robertson has announced he will continue his career on the Plains. Robertson's got uh, just one year to play as well. And, uh, you know, never really panned out for him at Georgia. But one of the fastest players in the SEC during his three seasons there, 42 catches for 443 yards and three touchdowns. Prior to being at Georgia, he was at Cal. Remember, he was uh, number one ranked receiver in the 2016 recruiting class. Signed with Cal in two seasons, caught 57 passes for 837 yards and seven touchdowns. So, was it a Robertson problem? Was it a Georgia issue? I don't know, but we'll see. Uh, Auburn certainly is going to need some guys willing to catch some passes from Bo Nix or potentially TJ Finley. And Robertson can certainly fill a role, add some speed to that receiver room, maybe be what they had last season in Anthony Schwartz. Someone similar may not be as fast as Schwartz. Hell, who is? But you're talking a guy with legit speed here coming into Auburn to that receiving core. 
Uh, I can't see how this is in any way bad for an Auburn program looking to add some experience and depth at that receiver position. Now, next, let's uh, hop it on down to Rocky Top. Now, this was a little while ago. It's been a while since we recorded a pod here, but Tennessee gets some much-needed help. Potential day one starter here themselves in former Alabama defensive back Brandon Turnage. Uh, This was a guy that, uh, remember, he was supposed to go to Georgia, and then they landed uh, the former All-ACC cornerback Kendrick from Clemson. And as soon as that happened, you know, whatever – Promises Turnage got there in Athens. I guess they weren't good enough. So so he never did make his way to Athens, even though he committed to him. Now he's on his way to Rocky Top. And given the, the state of Tennessee's defensive backfield, there's some talent there. There's some players there. But none of them were as touted as Turnage coming out of high school, who I believe was a high school All-American. I think he played in 10 games at Alabama, but uh, never a starter or anything to my knowledge. So uh, you know, just a case of tough to get on the field at Alabama. It's a tough, arguably the toughest place in the country to get on the field. So Tennessee gets much needed depth in Brandon Turnage. Potentially, I don't think this guy's going to be a day one starter by any means, unless he really balls out during fall camp. But I could see this is a guy that uh, is certainly going to be in the rotation. And by the end of the season, by the time he gets the system, and gets to you know familiar with the rest of his teammates and coaches is a starter at Tennessee. So I think he's going to be fared much better than he would have in Athens or in Tuscaloosa, just from a perspective of being able to get on the field and playing for a program that uh, just doesn't have the depth of those other two. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But that's a big addition for Tennessee because they needed some defensive backs. You know they lost uh, a battle with South Carolina for Prunty the former Kansas corner. So it was pretty clear they were not totally happy with their defensive backfield. Now they get that short up with Brandon Turnage, who I believe has got, if not three, four years to play. I think it's three years to play. So uh, potentially a multi-year starter here. Vols landed in the transfer portal. And then last but not least, uh, this could potentially be a big one here. Hop on down to Oxford. Where the Rebels, they landed... Uh, receiver Jalen Knox, formerly of Missouri. He jumped into the transfer portal. I don't think he participated in spring. I think he was uh, maybe a little banged up or something, if I recall. But he's at Ole Miss now. Could kind of fill that Elijah Moore role in, out of the slot. He's more of a slot option, which Missouri was kind of stacked at. So I think that's why he left. And uh, let's credit our buddy here, SEC stat cat Clark Brooks, who notes that uh, Jalen Knox fourth best success rate, sixth best first down or touchdown rate among returning SEC receivers. So he thinks he can fit that Elijah Moore role there in Oxford. And, you know, Ole Miss has got a lot of talented guys, but maybe they were lacking that slot option. So Jalen Knox, I believe he's got two seasons of eligibility remaining. So this this is an interesting one and a nice little pickup here for the Rebels heading into training camp. All right, guys, so one last thing I wanted to get to before we get to our interview with Jim Dunaway. It was a really outstanding interview. You're going to want to stick around for it. I saw this on Twitter, and I really wanted to kind of give share my thoughts on it. But uh, I want to give credit to Dr. SEC, who put out a tweet. Of the four SEC coaches going into their second year at the program, 
which one will finish with the most wins at their current school. So we're talking Eli Drinkowitz at Missouri, Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, and Mike Leach at Mississippi State. Now, again, we're not saying who's going to win more games in the upcoming 2021 season. We're saying which of those four will win the most at their current schools. And that, that's such an interesting question because there's many different factors here. You got to look at, uh, you know, the records last season, for the most part, the same. I think you have to look at age, the age of all these coaches and the likelihood that they're going to be there a long time. You know, if one of these guys only averages six wins a season, but is there for eight seasons, he's going to be the winner. Uh, you know, if one of these guys wins 10 games next year, maybe he bolts for another program. So he's obviously not. So a lot of different factors here when discussing a hypothetical like this. And I rated them from one to four. And I'll just share my thoughts on it. But number four, last on the list. I hate to do it because I think all these guys are great coaches. I cannot remember a time in the SEC where we hired four coaches and we got four winners like we got here. But I got to go Mike Leach, last on the list. And here's part of the reason. He's 60 years old, oldest one of the bunch. Now, that's not the only reason. I didn't just go by age here because that'd be too easy. But, man, that SEC West is ridiculous. And... You know, I, I certainly don't think Mike Leach is in over his head when it comes to recruiting. That's not at all what I'm trying to say here. But uh, it certainly seems like Lane Kiffin may have his number. Even that may be uh, not fair to say, given we just don't have much data on, on the two of them going head-to-head in recruiting. But I think Lane Kiffin so far looking like the better recruiter. Hell, they had so much momentum to, at the tail end of the season, but so is Mississippi State. The thing that kind of is holding me back here, because Mike Leach has, you know, this, I may be talking myself out of this as I'm sitting here thinking about it, but he does have a track record of sticking out of place for several seasons. So he may be at Mississippi State the next eight, nine years. And if he, if he's there that long, he's probably going to be tops on this list. But, you know, what was, aside from the LSU game, what was the issue with Mississippi State last year? Now, I know maybe this isn't fair given all the COVID and, and shortened camps and no spring and all that. We all know that, but. That offense, man, it held him back. And he, this is supposed to be our offensive guy. And we're flip-flopping quarterbacks, and now we're bringing in a Southern Miss guy when you got Will Rogers there, who I think could be one of the breakout candidates in the SEC. Now, of course, you got nothing behind him, so maybe you got to bring in a guy like Jack Abrams to, to at least be a quality backup there in Mississippi State. But if the offense was holding you back last year, and that's your baby, I don't know. That's not a great sign for Mike Leach in his program moving forward. Now, again, I think he's a hell of a coach. I think he's going to do just fine at Mississippi State. But, you know, half this is uh, the talent you got on your roster. And if they couldn't – they went 4-7 and seven last year with, I think, the most underrated defense in the entire SEC. What's going to happen if Zach Arnett leaves and the defense starts struggling? You know, how many games is it realistic to win? I don't know. But for me – Mike Leach, I've got him last on the list. Number three, it's probably going to be a little controversial, Lane Kiffin. He's only 46 and went 5-5 five and five last year. So he's tied for the best record of these four coaches. So he's, he's in the pole position now. 
and he's got you know age on his side. If he sticks at Ole Miss for several years, which is certainly a possibility, he's going to be the obvious winner on this one. But how long is he going to be at Ole Miss? Can he stay out of trouble? I don't know. I mean, we'll see. With the uh, Mary Flipness stuff, I love it. But I don't know how the rest of the SEC coaches feel about it. You know, if they catch him in a bad spot, will they turn him in? I'm not saying that's going to happen. Not even saying there's anything bad happening there. But I can certainly see that coming. But here's the big thing that I could I could truly see coming, and I think an honest Ole Miss fan would say the same. What happens if Ole Miss continues to rise, and Lane Kiffin is looking like one of the better coaches in the SEC, and old Nick Saban retires? Is he really going to pass on an opportunity to go to Alabama? I don't know. I think that I think that's your biggest concern. Now, hell, we said the same thing about uh, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee a couple of years ago. And his ass is uh, probably never working in college football again. So that may be I may be putting the cart before the horse here, but uh, I just don't have the confidence that Lane Kiffin is going to be an old miss, you know, ten years down the road. Now maybe He's certainly, he's a hell of a coach. I'm, I, I'm saying, and that's not a negative. I'm just saying he's such a good coach. He's going to have options. And his history indicates that he's willing to jump around a little bit. So if you're an Ole Miss fan, can you really be mad if the if the coach leads you to glory and, and leaves? I, I know nobody wants to hear that, but hell, that's a lot better than uh, having Matt Luke and having no energy and and having to fire a guy, which is certainly not going to be the case for Lane Kiffin. So that's why I got him number three. Number two, Sam Pittman. He's 59. He went three and seven. So he's dead last on this list when it comes to current record. But I got the most confidence that in the years to come, Sam Pittman is, hell, he's already said it. This is the last job he's ever going to take. He's already started to turn around Arkansas. The recruiting is going really well under his direction. He's hired two outstanding coordinators. So the man knows how to, to build a staff. Uh, but the key thing here is his age. And I know we look at Nick Saban and say, well, he's 69, whatever the hell he is, and he's not slowing down. Well, he's not a human being. He's a robot. Most men are going to start slowing down in their mid-60s. So can Sam Pittman continue to coach at a high level for six, seven seasons? I think he can. And I think he will, and I think he'll stay at Arkansas. But, you know, at some point, that's uh, that's going to come to an end. And, again, you're in the SEC West. You're fighting these damn behemoths, not only on the field, but in the in the in uh, on the recruiting trail with Alabama and LSU and Texas A&M. And, my God, you're just in such a – you're between a rock and a hard place here. So it's, it's very, very difficult. But I think I got the most confidence that Sam Pittman – is going to be at his current school longer than all these guys. So that's why I put him so high on this list. And then, of course, so there's only one guy left, Eli Drinkowitz, Missouri. He's only 38, went 5-5 five and five last year. So if Missouri can hold on, you know, kind of a lot of the same deal here with Lane Kiffin. If they can hold on to him, hell, imagine if Missouri wins 9-10 uh, games this year. You don't think he's going to be fielding some calls? The difference here, I think, while Drinkowitz has moved around a little bit here, during his young coaching career, that's very normal for assistant coaches moving up the ladder. And the only other head coach he, head coaching job he had was Appalachian State, 
And we all know how I feel about Appy State, but uh, if you're at Appy State and the SEC comes calling, you come running. And that's what he did. And I don't think he's a big enough name at this point, and I don't think he will be for a little while to where he would want to leave Missouri. You know, the NFL, I don't think, is coming calling for Drinkowitz at this point. You know, a USC, they were, they're going to sell to their fans. Missouri coach, you no know, disrespect, but programs like that, they want flash. They want fans in the stands. And uh, I just think Missouri and Drinkowitz, that's almost like a perfect marriage. That's their guy. He's so young. He was very successful his first year. I think, uh, you know, and they're recruiting right now is number four in the SEC. Now, does that really matter in July? No, but, you know, it's an indication of what's to come. I really do think. And, and like I said, they only won five. They went five and five last year. Imagine yeah, if this season they win eight or nine games. What's their recruiting going to look like? With the way college football is going, just being an offensive-minded game and the fact that they've got an offensive-minded coach, I think Drinkwitz got a, you know, an outstanding chance to, to really be at Missouri as long as he wants. And I think he's going to keep winning on the field. And, hell, he's almost half the age of Sam Pittman. So, Eli Drinkowitz, for me, has got to be the answer to this question. Which of the second-year coaches is going to be at their school the longest? I hope you guys appreciated that one. I'm sure uh, (laughs) I can hear the angry tweets being fired at me now from uh, the state of Mississippi and Arkansas. But, uh, hey, I'm, I'm ready for it. But, uh, hey, enough of that. Let's get to our outstanding interview with Jim Dunaway, a longtime host of the Roundtable on Jocks Radio there in Birmingham. And now he's got a new show called The Next Round that's just started up down there with the same, the Roundtable team. They all left together. They're starting up a new venture here. So let's kick it over to our interview with Jim Dunaway. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by the one and only Jim Dunaway, of course, he's a longtime radio host with Jocks. Now he's got a new show coming out, The Next Round. Jim, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Well, Mike, you know, I've been uh, following you on Twitter for a long time. Big fan. So thanks for having me on with you finally. Yes, sir. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the new show? I've, I've been watching you guys have been posting alien videos, and uh, now you got a really <laughs> good uh, interview with, uh, of course, the great Tom Luganville of ESPN, so that was just posted. Can you fill us in on what is the new format for the show? Well, that sums up our show. Um, <laughs> over the years, back when we were on WJOX, uh, 12 years together when we were the round table, and we just jumped on to a digital platform that we launched in August, um, and we're just, um, you know, we were ready to have a little equity in the company to own, own our own product, and this was the best way for us to do it. We're excited. Uh, we picked out office space. We picked out furniture. We were picking out paint color tomorrow. We we're getting a uh, set built, ordering equipment, uh, doing all the stuff we didn't do when we did four hours of radio every day. So it's exciting. Uh, it's a little nerve wracking at times because, um, you know, it's, it's, we, we had a, a lot of security there with Cumulus Broadcasting all those years. And so this is very different, but we're fired up and ready to climb a different mountain. And we're ready for SEC Media Days, which is just a few days away, which means it's time uh, time to talk a little football. Absolutely. Well, let's just jump right into that then. And, you know, there's not many better in the state of Alabama to ask these type of questions. So that's why I really wanted to have you on, Jim. But first one, I got to ask you this. You probably get tired of being asked this, but how much longer is Nick Saban going to terrorize the rest of the SEC? <laughs> 
Uh, you know, I've had a chance to host this coach's show many times, and I will tell you this, I get older, and it seems like he gets younger. He seems to be <laughs> younger now than he was when he got to Tuscaloosa. Um, he's an amazing, amazing individual when it comes to a work ethic. Um, nobody ever outworks Nick Saban, and that includes the people on the staff. I'm not doing that as a shot against anybody else in the coaching profession. Uh, he's a guy that will outwork everybody that's on his coaching staff in his football building and everywhere, and that's how he sets the tone for the program. And until that changes, I don't see him going anywhere. You know, everyone thinks Coach K or Roy Williams and coaches like that are running away from the name, image, and likeness and what is the future of college athletics. Um, I don't see Nick Saban running away from that. You know, he's been very out front on, you know, wanting it to be an all-SEC schedule. He's been out front wanting to expand the playoffs. He's been out front saying, if we're not going to expand the playoffs, let's make sure we're protecting the bowls. Uh, he's been out front on everything. And when you've got some coaches, like my buddy Dabo Sweeney, who was not in favor of name, image, and likeness to start with, um, you know, Nick Saban says, hey, if that's what you guys want, he never, he never tries to push an agenda. He says, if that's what everybody wants, He'll adjust to that, and I think his ability to adjust is why he is still thriving at Alabama right now and coming off another national championship. Now, of course, he signed a contract extension this offseason. He signed through the 2028 season. If you had to predict, do you think he coaches uh, you know, through the end of that deal? Well, you know, you always it's a wild card with your health, but as long as he's healthy, um, yeah, I could see him coaching through 2028. I don't know how it ends, though. You know, I don't know how – the final chapter of Nick Saban's time in Tuscaloosa ends, but I'll, I'll be the first to tell you uh, when Alabama was getting ready to play Notre Dame down in Miami back in the day, that would be the 2012 season. Um, I was one of those people that was hearing very strong rumors from my friends who worked at the Cotton Bowl, who were tech Texas alums. They were saying, you know, we're after Nick Saban, man, he's going to win that national championship and come to Austin. And I believed it, man. I, I Back then, I thought, you know, Nick Saban could win another championship, his third in a short period of time, and then bounce off to another challenge because he loves the new challenges. And um, he didn't do that. He, he's still here in 2021, getting ready to make another run, coming off of another national championship. So I don't know how the final chapter goes. Um, you know, he's not the kind of guy who I think would walk away from a contract. But I would imagine there'll be some contract left, some years left on a contract, whether it's this one or the next one, when he finally decides to hang it up. But he's a guy who, you know, there seems to be things that continue to, you know, sort of rekindle the fire. And I think last year with him missing a game because of COVID-19, the restrictions that were on you, I think he really realized sitting around the house a lot that – um that that's not really where, where he sees his future is sitting around the lake house, riding his boat. He loves boating. He loves being at the lake, but I think he loves coaching football a lot more. So I don't know how it ends, but I don't think it's any time in the next couple of years. Now we all know Steve Sarkeesian did a, just a tremendous job there with the Alabama offense. Now they've got Bill O'Brien coming in. In your opinion, will that prove to be, you know, Alabama downgrading or is it possible that they've even upgraded by landing a, a very, you know, successful NFL coach. Well, I mean, that's where it starts. I mean, Bill O'Brien was a successful offensive coach in the National Football League, and then he was a very successful head coach. He was a horrible general manager. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so as long as Nick Saban's not letting him trade away John Mechie <laughs> or Evan Neal for first-round picks or something like that, then uh, Alabama should be okay. But the guy's a, a great offensive mind. I love Steve Sarkeesian. I thought he had uh, better nuance at play calling than Lane Kiffin did when Lane was there. I love the way he draws up plays. And I think Sark, this time around as a head coach, uh, more mature personal life in order will be a huge success eventually at Texas. So I hate to see Sark go. Um, but I don't think Bill O'Brien's a downgrade. I just think it'll be very different. And it'll be very different just starting off with the fact that the quarterbacks will be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, th- I think you'll get a little bit of what you saw with Jalen Hurts in this offense. And, and who better to – to coach Bryce Young than the guy who had been coaching Deshaun Watson. And, you know, Deshaun Watson's a a mountain of a man, and Bryce Young is not. But their skill sets are a lot alike. Bryce Young can escape out the back door of a blitz and burn you for 14, 17, 20 yards before you even know it. And that's what Deshaun Watson was able to do. Strong arm and the ability to escape a pass rush. And if if you leave the quarterback uncovered, Bryce can beat you. That's what Bill O'Brien's been coaching Deshaun Watson at with the Houston Texans, and I think that's a great place for Bryce Young's time in Tuscaloosa to start with a guy like Bill O'Brien. Now, I'm glad you referenced uh, Bryce Young because I, I wanted to ask you, what's the expectation down there for him this year? I mean, you kind of answered that a little bit already, but as I see it, he's the betting favorite right now to win the Heisman out of the SEC. Is is that a little ridiculous considering he's never, <laughs> he's never even started a game yet? <laughs> yeah, there's no pressure at all, right? Mike, you just told him he's going to win the Heisman. If he doesn't win the Heisman, it's a disappointment. Look, I'm, I'm looking at my Lindy's Magazine last night, and Matt Corral is on the first team All-SEC, and JT Daniels is on the second team. And I pull up my Athlon Magazine, and you got JT Daniels and Matt Corral. That's where the quarterback conversation starts in the SEC, whether I'm reading my Athlon or my Lindy's or my Phil Steele. But everybody gets to Bryce Young eventually. So, yeah, he's got a lot of pressure because there's perceived talent around him. Here's, here's where it starts with Bryce Young, though, is Evan Neal is back, but a lot of first-round and NFL skill set players on their offensive line is gone. You look at Alabama traditionally, uh, A.J. McCarron, Greg McElroy, they could sit and let receivers run through zone one, zone two, and throw it to them in zone three and never get a, ha- a hair on their head touched. Bryce Young will be behind a very talented but inexperienced offensive line, and that's where the first chapter in the Bryce Young story will be written. And that also is where his legs will come into play and the ability for him to run the football. That's why I think this looks more like a Jalen Hurts freshman season offense than what we've seen most recently with Tua and Mack. If there's one game on Alabama's schedule that you think is going to give them the most trouble this season, is there one that stands out to you? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I would circle at Texas A&M mm-hmm. um, for that game October the 9th. Um, you know, the Aggies, they they would tell you they didn't play a great game last year. Let it get away from them at Bryant-Denny Stadium. That was their only blemish. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I think the Miami game will be challenging because you have so many new parts and a new quarterback in Miami. At a, you know, they won the transfer portal this year, so that'll be a fun game. The trip to Florida will be a fun game. Um, you, you look back at the SEC championship, 52-46, and you have, you have a lot of people that left at Florida. But, you know, to me, Emory Jones looks a lot like Dak Prescott. So that game will be fun for Alabama. 
I think Ole Miss, what was that score? I mean, it was 1,000 to 999, <laughs> it seems like, as I remember that game. Uh, I, uh, that's going to be a fun game. And, you know, if, if Matt Corral, if he's not the best quarterback in the SEC, he's the second best. And I don't think anybody gets under uh, Alabama's Pete Golding or Nick Saban skin better than Lane Kiffin does at drawing up plays. So that'll be a fun game. LSU is going to have a great bounce back. Um, so the schedule is a lot more difficult than people want to make it out to for Alabama. And it's really difficult early. I mean, before you're out of the first Saturday in October, you've already played Miami. You've already played on the road at Florida, at home to Ole Miss. And October 9th, you go on the road at Texas A&M. That's a challenging early part of the schedule when usually Alabama's schedule is back half heavy. Now, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but, um, you know, a couple of off seasons ago, Gus Malzahn ultimately, you know, we all know he picked Bo Nix, true freshman, to start there for Auburn. When he had a guy on the roster, Malik Willis, who's been tearing it up for Hugh Freeze at Liberty, do you think picking Bo Nix over Malik Willis, that ultimately ended up costing Gus Malzahn his job? Well, you know, a lot of things cost Gus Malzahn his job, and, and beating Nick Saban wasn't one of them. You know, I, I Auburn is one of those jobs where if you somehow are on the wrong side of the, wrong, of the right people, uh, you never get the footing you need to be successful there. And, you know, Pat Dye is a guy that, God rest his soul, one of my favorite coaches of all time. Uh, he's the kind of coach that Auburn needs. The I don't, you know, I don't care guy. We're going to do it my way guy. And, and uh, they may have that in Brian Harson. I really like Brian Harson a lot. Uh, Bo Nix was a five-star quarterback. Bo Nix, I said when he came out of Pinson, uh, the day he, on National Signing Day, I said on our radio show, I said, hey, this guy, I think by his junior year, will be a finalist for the Heisman. I don't think he wins it, but I think he'd be a finalist for the Heisman. And we're going into his junior year. We'll see what, you know, Bo has around him. But that talent level hasn't been up to the level of Alabama. And it's not up to the level of LSU's national championship. And it's not up to Georgia's level. It's not up to Texas A&M level. And I think ultimately that's why Gus Malzahn lost his job. He had some good, some great recruits like Tank Bigsby. He didn't have enough of them to stay competitive with the Georgias, the LSUs, the Texas A&Ms, and the Alabamas. That, it's, not Bo Nick, it's not a Bo Nix problem. It's an overall roster problem that cost Gus his job. But Gus is going to thrive at UCF. You mark my words, the guy will be a hit at UCF. And, um, and you probably have not seen the last of Gus Malzahn in the top 10 or on a national stage. Now, you referenced, uh, of course, the first-year coach, Brian Harson. He also brought in offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. Uh, do you think they can maximize Bo Nix's talent? And, and what's the real ex, uh, realistic expectations for Auburn going with the first-year coaching staff? Well, I, I would tell you, I think Mike Bobo, he played the way – Patrick Nix, Bo's dad, played. Uh, he coaches offensive football the way Patrick Nix's, um, the way Patrick Nix played, and the way Patrick Nix likes to coach. Uh, so there's a lot of similarities between Mike Bobo and Bo Nix's dad. And who's been the biggest influence on Bo Nix's style of playing football? It's been Patrick Nix, the former Auburn great from the 1993 and 94 seasons. So I think the reason Mike Bobo has that job is because 
Mike Bobo and Patrick Nix think a lot about offensive football, and I think that will fit uh, Bo Nix's comfort level a lot better than Gus Malzahn. So I do think it is a good move for Bo Nix that there was a coaching change. I think it's a good move that they hired Mike Bobo, and I think Brian Harson knew what he was doing. Um, again, talent level matching the elite of the elite is going to be the problem, but Tank Bigsby may be the best running back in the country, and you've got some really great talent on that defensive side of the football. Can you find enough playmaker at wide receiver, and can Bo Nix take that next step? That will decide the difference between Auburn winning seven games or Auburn being a contender in the SEC West. Now, I'm sure you've seen the story out of Miami with the uh, you know the boosters donating to or donating or sponsoring, whatever you want to call it, basically every uh, player on the roster there to the tune of a little over a half a million dollars. Uh, you hearing anything that uh, you know we could see something similar in, in the state of Alabama with the Crimson Tide or potentially Auburn? You know, I don't know if it's going to be one big lump sum like that, but in this is the in this the way everybody thought it was going to play out. <laughs> I, I personally thought that you'd have twenty five you know booster owned companies that would eventually, and I'm not speaking speaking Alabama Auburn, I'm speaking all across college football. Mm-hmm. You know, throw in UAB, throw in Vandy, whoever whoever you want. You'd have 25 business owners who are alums of state university, and they would, uh, you know, basically adopt a recruit. And for four years, they would, you know, name, image, and likeness. They would, you know, buy jerseys and you know do car ads and all that. And um, and then you know another recruit would come on, and you get the, that guy for four years. I don't see a problem with it. I think it's you know, the money may change a little bit. There may be more money available, but I think we all believe in our heart of hearts that there's been a little extra going on in college athletics since they were dropping hay bales off of trains back in the uh, 1900s, right? Stuff, stuff a few hundred dollar bills and mm-hmm. roll them off the train on a ranch for a big running back in Texas and try to get them to go to College Station. It's the way I pictured recruiting in the 1920s. And I bet it hadn't changed much over the years, just the way you get the money to the recruits. Now we're doing it on the up and up, and and I like it. And if some big booster who owns a car dealership wants to sponsor a left guard to uh, do commercials for his car dealership, and that left guard gets a little money out of it, and a, and a school gets a good left guard, uh, I don't see where anybody's getting hurt. How much pressure is going to be on Kirby Smart if Georgia does – I don't know if they have to win the SEC. I think you know they're going to be a huge favorite to win the East – but uh, at least make the college football playoff. Is, is there going to be heat on him if he can't do, deliver that this year? Well, let me pull out my summer pool magazine again. Um, last night, I think the headline said something like, Georgia chasing Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia Georgia with the talent to win the national championship. You know, So, yeah, I mean, Georgia Georgia's not far off. And I'll remind you, JT Daniels is unbeaten as the starting quarterback at Georgia. He hasn't lost one yet since he started. So that team is really good, but um, I will look at most first-round All-SEC teams. Uh, you may have JT Daniels as your quarterback. A lot of people have Matt Corral. Some people will have Zamir White in as the number one first-team All-SEC running back. I personally go Tank Bigsby. I personally go Isaiah Spiller over Zamir White. You know, I don't have a Georgia receiver that would make my first-team All-SEC. I don't have a Georgia offensive lineman that would make my first team all SEC. I don't even have a Georgia kicker anymore. 
that would make my first team all SEC. So what I'm saying is Georgia is going to be built on another great Kirby Smart defense, and can that offense with a really good quarterback be good enough to be national champions? And you look at – I think we all believe, believe in DJ Uyangale Ui mm-hmm. at Clemson. I think we all believe in Spencer Radler at Oklahoma. I just assume Ohio State and Ryan Day will have somebody. Uh, we think Alabama would be pretty good offensively. So now if you're Georgia, defense defense wins championships, the old cliche, but Nick Saban told us last year that it changed a little bit. So you got to play some offensive football, and hopefully Kirby, for Georgia's sake, moves that offense into – the 2021 scale and not try to keep it in 2011 Alabama. Now, I really want to ask you about LSU. Do you think the team this year is closer to the uh, 15-0 and two years ago or closer to the 5-5 five and five team that was a huge disappointment last year? Well, I, I think it'll be more – it'll be closer to 2019 than what we saw last year. And I think that starts with the fact that you've got a new defensive coordinator, right? You bring in uh, Jake Peets, and he's going to come in there and he's going to be the guy that um, sort of cleans up what Bo Pelini did last year. And I, I, you try to tell me what Bo Pelini was doing in that first game. I can't tell you. Uh, he, he stayed he stayed in man-to-man in Mississippi State and ran him off the field. And I'm not sure that LSU ever recovered from that game. They won some games down the stretch. Uh, they played better football before it was all said and done. But when your only wins are over Vandy and South Carolina – who are not very good, at Arkansas, they beat a good Florida team, and then they beat a pretty good Ole Miss team. So they played better late, and I think eventually Bo Pelini was just off his rocker last year. I think it starts with better defense. Derek Stingley Jr. is unbelievable. And I really liked Miles Brennan at quarterback before he was hurt. Max mm-hmm. Johnson had some uh, bright spots down the stretch. I think LSU's Jimmy Jim- Jimmy's and Joe's are just too good not for them to be better than they were last year when it's all said and done this year. All right, last question for you, Jim. I really appreciate all the time you've given me. But, uh, you know, last year we had four new head coaches in the SEC, and I think you can make the case that, uh, you know, all of them very good hires. Sam Pittman at Arkansas, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, Mike Leach, Mississippi State, and Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. Which one of those four – do you think will win the most games at their current school? And I'm not talking this year. I'm just talking, you know, staying out the, and staying at those programs for the rest of uh, however long they're they're there. Oh man, um, I think Sam Pittman will stay there the longest of all those. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ever listen to the show, there's a good chance I landmined him right there, but. <laughs> I think they love him, and I think maybe he did the best job, uh, relatively speaking, of anybody last year. They were very competitive and could have won a couple of more games like at, at Auburn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leach will win some games. You know, I don't know if, if Lane Kiffin can get into this conversation because I feel like Lane has one more move in him to a, you know, not a Texas-like job, but to a job closer to a Texas job. And then Eli Drinkwitz, you know, I had a chance to talk to some of the Alabama coaches as the season progressed and before they went to the playoffs and they, they were really impressed with week one, what, what Eli Drinkowitz and his coaching staff did to Alabama. And if you go back and see what Alabama did the rest of the year, 
and go back to that game one and watch it again, Missouri did a pretty heck, pretty good job, mm-hmm. heck of a job against Alabama. So you're right, all four of those are good. I'd put Lane dead last. I would put Mike Leach because he's in the West. Sam Pittman, I'm going to go with Eli Drinkwitz gets more wins of all those. Oh, congratulations. That's the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> he's Jim Dunaway. That worked out good. You got to give him a follow at Jim Dunaway and check out the new show, The Next Round. Follow it on Twitter, YouTube, all the platforms. Can't wait to see what you guys come up with in your inaugural season. Jim, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, anytime and Next Round Live on all the social media platform, Next Round Live. And I enjoyed it and I'm ready for SEC Media Days and then let's kick this thing off. Just want to say thanks again to Jim for hopping on the line. I thought that was some outstanding insight into uh, Alabama, Auburn, and and the rest of these SEC teams. He's a very, very entertaining guy, as you can tell. And if you like that, you got to check out his show the next round. Uh, Links to where you can find all that is in the show notes. Highly recommend. Give Jim that follow. Give the next round the follow on all the social media platforms and check them out. You know, let's support what they're doing over there at the next round. But hey guys, that's going to do it for this episode. I apologize once again for only having one episode. But like I said, you're going to get prepared to be hearing a lot of us here the coming days with the SEC Media Days right around the corner. The unofficial start to the SEC season. And in the meantime, I'm going to try to keep getting these uh, interviews lined up. And hell, who knows? Maybe Cousin Shane one of these days will hop on the line. Uh, We certainly hope so, but uh, I know he appreciates each and all of you as much as I do. And, uh, of course, if you made it this far, as always, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app, and we're willing to send you a beer koozie free of charge just for that review. We've got all 14 SEC teams covered. So if you send that review to us at thatsecpodcast at gmail.com, We're very happy to send you a beer koozie in exchange for free. I don't know anybody else that's doing that. So I appreciate each and every one of you. Have a great weekend. Catch you on the next one.